This podcast features topics about sexual assault and rape. Discretion is advised. If you're seeking help, the National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-4673. It's time we start bringing our attention to something a little closer to campus. It's happened to your friends, your roommate, the girl who sits across from you in class, and the boy you pass on the way back to your dorm. It's sexual assault and rape, and it's time we talked. You're listening to Call It What It Is, a five-part podcast that focuses on sexual assault on college campuses by featuring victim stories and the resources that are available to them. I'm your host, Rachel Bandy, and it's time we started calling it What It Is. Kenna was a student at my high school and one of my close friends. Last year during her senior year of college, she posted an Instagram telling the story of how she was taken advantage of during high school by a fellow classmate. I had never heard her story until she shared the post. When I saw it, I didn't know how to feel. How was I friends with someone but didn't even know about such a dark and tragic event that had happened to her? March 17, 2014, I woke up in a bedroom totally foreign to me in an old splash hockey sweatshirt and my underwear. Nothing else. My pants were nowhere in sight. I was totally confused and slightly hungover. I wandered into the next room over where he was sleeping. My jeans lay on the floor covered in vomit. What happened last night, I asked. He said he had no idea. Here's what I remember. I was with 15 of my closest high school friends hanging out in a room above his parents' garage we called The Loft listening to music, and drinking. Winters and Amherst were pretty boring, so this was a standard Saturday night. At 1 a.m., my mom texts me, McKenna, when are you coming home? You have to work in the a.m. I told her I'd be leaving soon, and that I was talking with my friend Anthony about his depression. She said she understood and she would see me soon. I never ended up going home. I woke up in the morning and left his house as quickly as possible. I don't even think I had my phone. I went to my girlfriend Hannah's house before work to get clean clothes, still not having any idea what happened. It wasn't until Monday after lunch when all those same people from the party on Saturday were gathered in the library that I was able to finally piece some things together. I asked everyone who was there what had happened, even him. He still said he had no idea. My other male friends who were there said differently. You for sure blacked out, McKenna. We ran out of mixers and you were drinking a cup of straight vodka. Another one of the guys said that I was walking around like I was asking for it. Asking to be raped, even though I had my period. Even though Anthony was my friend and my classmate. Even though my ex-boyfriend was at the small same gathering in the loft. My stomach sunk. I could definitely piece together what had happened that night in the loft and guess. I was drunk, I'd blacked out, I didn't remember, and I thought it was my fault. Less than a week later I had to go to the doctor because the odor coming from between my legs was so strong. The doctor took a look and immediately noticed redness and irritation. She also found a tampon shoved inside of me. She asked me if I knew how it happened and I told her that I borrowed one from a friend that was a different brand than the kind I normally buy and I must not have noticed. I was so disgusted. I left the doctor's office with some antibiotics for something called bacterial vaginosis, 
which commonly occurs after interactions with someone new or unfamiliar. All in all, I was pretty strong about the incident. I didn't cry a bunch, lose sleep, or see a major drop in my grades at school, but I also really didn't have resources or someone to talk to this about. This was a whole new thing in high school, and even my very best girlfriends didn't know how to react. Two months later, we graduated and walked the same stage. Anthony was planning on going to school for criminal justice and law enforcement. How ironic. It wasn't until first semester of college that I really realized what had happened to me. I could finally call it what it was, rape. Unfortunately, after McKenna went to college, she was still surrounded by a culture that had grown accustomed to taking advantage of vulnerable people and not listening to the victims. I woke up in my dorm room in the morning fully clothed, but I didn't have underwear on, and I didn't know where the hickey on my neck came from. The next weekend, we went to the same house to party at. My pink floral underwear were on the floor in the corner of the basement. I still don't know what happened that night, and I probably never will. Sophomore year, someone really close to me was assaulted by her best guy friend named Joe. She reported it to the school and nothing happened, but it made me sick to see him walking around campus. At a house party one night, I saw him talking to three or four girls. When he stepped away to grab another drink, I stepped in. That guy Joe you're hanging out with? He sexually assaulted my friend, I told them. They were shocked. Joe? Really? No way. He's like our friend. I can't believe that. I told them, yeah, I don't know if he'd do it again, but I just wanted you all to know. I told them to have a good night and left. I guess I'd become an advocate against sexual assault without really knowing it. Junior year, I signed up for a class called Lifespan Sexuality. My favorite thing about it was that on Fridays, we met with the same small group of 10 classmates all semester and discussed various prompts and readings. One of the Fridays, sexual assault and rape came up, and even though I met with them every week, I didn't really know these people. I've kind of always been one to share my life story with a stranger, so I did. I took a deep breath and I shared my story with those 10 people. After I was finished, I could tell that it was clearly upsetting to some and powerful to others in the group. And afterwards, two more girls came forward and shared their similar experiences. It was both tragic and a relief that I wasn't the only one. Although McKenna didn't report her story, she was able to use it to promote how common sexual violence is and how there are people you know that are living with what has happened to them and not able to share their story. My goal through this podcast is that more people will feel comfortable coming forward and will lose the stigma, rape is something you should be ashamed of that happened to you, rather than making it more about something that we could fight against and talk about. A few months later in April, I shared my story on Instagram with a photo of me from the night I was raped. It basically said what I just shared with all of you. It's my most liked post ever. God, it was so scary to press share. I was totally shocked by all of the love and support I received afterwards. People were proud. They said my story was powerful and that I was really brave for sharing it. I got texts and calls and DMs. More people shared their sexual assault stories with me. Some of those people were strangers and some of them were my best friends and I'd had no idea. Anthony messaged me after he saw my post. 
It was 11 o'clock at night on a weekend. I remember I was at a bar with my roommates. He asked me why I would ever write something so untrue. My heart started pumping and my jaw dropped. I was in shock. He still hadn't come to grips with what he had done over three years ago. We went back and forth a little bit and then he blocked me. I still didn't cry. My name is McKenna Heck and I've been affected by sexual assault since I was 18 years old. Next, one of Marquette's victim advocates, Katie Adler, will discuss what she does on a daily basis in the fight against sexual assault and violence. I'm the coordinator for advocacy services and sexual violence prevention. The one piece of that that I won't talk too much about is overseeing sexual violence prevention on Marquette's campus and implementing, we have bystander intervention training and other kinds of prevention on campus. But the other piece is advocacy and what that entails is meeting with students who receive reports of maybe a student disclosed to their professor, mm -hmm. maybe to their hall director, um, or maybe they go to the police. Um, and sometimes students contact us directly. And so these are students who have experienced sexual violence, sexual harassment, relationship violence, stalking, kind of any one of those aspects of gender-based violence or sexual violence. I meet with the student and talk with them a lot about basically what maybe they need at that time and that looks very different from student to student. So for some students that is, I have immediate safety concerns, like I don't feel safe on campus or this happened in my residence hall, what are my options with that? And so we work a lot with students, see what options there are for moving out of the residence hall or moving that other person out of the residence hall, whatever maybe is best in that circumstance. And then we talk a lot with students about if this person who did this was a member of the Marquette community. We have things like stay away directives, which is the university version of a no contact order or restraining order. And that sometimes can be helpful for students to know that, okay, if this person is instructed not to contact me at all. They have to maintain their distance and it just creates those really clear boundaries with um, contact. We also talk with students about reporting options. So some students choose to report to the university, report to the police, maybe both. Um, and there are actually quite a few students who choose to do neither. So they choose not to report to anyone. And then those students maybe just need some support with I want to find a counselor, I want to talk to somebody about this, or I'm struggling in some of my classes and I need assistance with that. And that's something that we often will work with that student on maybe communicating with their professor, getting them some extra time for assignments that might be coming up immediately after they disclose or immediately after something happens. So it's kind of a wide range of what that meeting may look like with a student that comes in to meet with us is always directed by that student. So I may always talk about like these are the options, but what where it goes from there is directed by that student and what they need or what they want to have happen from that point. I want to know why students often don't report the sexual violence they experience. Are they afraid to come to terms with it? Are they afraid of the consequences that could ensue by reporting it? It is really hard. There are a lot of different reasons why someone may not come forward. It's really common kind of across 
the spectrum for someone who's been sexually assaulted. And I'm speaking specifically about sexual assault, but this is really true of anything, sexual harassment, relationship violence, stalking, that they are kind of underreported crimes. So like there's many, many reasons that's outside of the college environment why people don't come forward. And those are, I'm afraid that I won't be believed or I'm afraid I'll be blamed for what happened because maybe like our culture and our society treats sexual assault victims is that we often will say, well, we, we focus on the victim behavior. So we look at what was that person doing that put them in that situation where this happened. And a lot of that has to do with, I know this is going beyond kind of what you're asking, but a lot of that has to do with, um, it makes us feel safer. Because if I look at that and I say, okay, well that person, let's say went to that party and got really intoxicated, so they got really drunk, I just won't do that. And then I'll be safer and I won't be sexually assaulted. Because if we really, if we believe the truth, which is the reality that this happens to many different types of people, many different types of circumstances, and it's not about the victim behavior, it's about offender choices. And once we start focusing on that, it sometimes can make us feel a little bit safer. When in reality, when we're focusing on offender behavior, that's where true prevention is, and that's really when we start to make the world a safer place for all of us. So that's a huge reason. And that victim blaming, that focusing on victim behavior, I think kind of explains a lot of different reasons why people don't come forward. And so some of that maybe I was drinking and so I one like maybe will be blamed because I was drinking. I maybe don't remember some of it because I was drinking. I didn't want to come forward right away because I was drinking and I wasn't sure what happened was sexual assault. And then maybe it really is I was drinking and so I don't want to get in trouble. And that's that one is probably the easiest one for us to deal with because we have the Good Samaritan policy. Basically what it means is that if someone comes forward to report a sexual assault, let's say, and they disclose that they were drinking at the time of the sexual assault, they're not going to be charged under student conduct for the drinking that was a, a part of that night. Um, and that's because in that circumstance, the higher priority is the sexual assault. You know, like we recognize that. So anything, um, like anything that happens, so like if someone were to disclose that they, you know, broke some kind of school policy, um, that's generally not, not the focus of that. So it's actually state law as well that if someone comes forward to report a sexual assault, like being a victim of a sexual assault, that if they're underage, even if they were drinking, they're, they won't get in trouble for drinking. They would be, like the focus would be the sexual assault. So that's an, that's an easy one to be able to talk about. The, the harder ones are, you know, if friends aren't supportive. So if someone discloses to their friend, they're like, no way, that person couldn't do that. Like that, that doesn't sound like so-and-so at all, like that, that couldn't have happened the way that you remember it, then that is really, that is in some ways much more harmful than policy that, or like misunderstanding of a policy. Because ultimately, like if, if I, if something happens to me and I tell a friend and that person is like, 
disbelieving me or not supportive, I'm much less likely to then go forward and tell anybody else. Uh, versus if I just have a misunderstanding of a policy, hopefully I'm still able to get support from my friends and one of them can know, like, know the Good Samaritan policy and come forward. Or I'm much more likely to maybe go to the counseling center and they know about the Good Samaritan policy so they can help me if I decide that I want to And I think it's all... It's not necessarily that that friend is evil or, you know, that they're truly trying to be harmful. It really is a lot of maybe misunderstanding the situation or being misguided in terms of what they can do. Katie and I also discussed how college students are coming to college without any prior knowledge on what consent means everyday things that we go through and in the fact that it needs to be very direct communication and very open communication and checking in all the time. It definitely needs to go sooner in our in our education and honestly it's it's kind of this kind of education doesn't always need to look like so I think about even in elementary school, not necessarily conversations about how to give and get consent for sexual activity, but talking about like healthy boundaries about around our bodies. Like that's not something that we're always taught just from our parents. So like, where do we ever learn that? It's okay to say no, and it's absolutely imperative to ask permission before you touch someone else. Um, that those aren't, aren't messages that we always get. And mm-hmm. so, that kind of messaging, that kind of education needs to start much sooner than college because, you know, by the time that, that you get here, it's you've developed a lot of the ways that you're communicating with mm-hmm. people in all kinds of relationships. So it's it's just harder. It doesn't mean that we can't be impactful in how we talk about things here. It just means that it would be even more helpful to have these conversations There are a number of options that victims can turn to in order to report the crime that has been committed against them. 24-hour advocate contact line, and that's staffed by not only myself and the other full-time advocate, but also a number of on-call advocates, which are Marquette staff and faculty across campus. There are five of them. So anyone can call that number and ask questions, you know, want to, if they just want to get information about how to report, they can call that number, and they can call that number without giving information about themselves, which is nice. All of our advocates are mandated reporters, so we can keep information confidential to the greatest extent possible, so that means that we're not going to tell anyone else other than um, we have to inform the Title IX coordinator that a crime has happened and the information that we have about that. So. So we can talk to a student, give information without getting that student's name, without ever getting the name of any other student involved, if it was another student, and we can give options. So that's 288-5244 is our advocate line. But there's also, we have an email that's advocacy at marquette.edu. They can contact me directly. Those are all of the ways to like get in touch with 
advocacy. We have a website where people can see our faces, see what we look like, and then our emails are on there as well. They can, if students are sure, like, I want to report to the university, they can contact Title IX directly. So there's a Title IX website, there's the Title IX coordinator, the deputy Title IX coordinator, um, and I think there's, like, Title IX coordinator at marquette.edu is a website. Like, students, if they're sure that they want to report to Title IX can contact them directly anytime. MUPD obviously is always an option. Um, if the student is just wants to get more information about reporting to the police or just wants to report to the police, they can call MUPD. And then honestly there are a lot of mandated reporters on campus. Those are the best ways those folks, advocacy, Title IX, MEPD are the best people to go to if that student is sure that they want to file a report. The Counseling Center is an amazing confidential resource, so someone can go to the Counseling Center, talk with them, get support, and not have, like, Counseling Center doesn't have to report that to Title IX. The medical clinic is the same way. But I think those are, those are generally the folks where it's kind of the first responders so people can go to like hall director, go to their mm-hmm. RA, go to a professor, and then from there, that professor, RA, hall director would contact the advocate or the uh, Title IX coordinator. So um, either way, like advocate, Title IX coordinator would generally get involved if anyone else is contacted. Um, but there are a ton of supportive people on mm-hmm. campus, and so I think it's my biggest thing is who is a support for that student and how can can that person get them linked up with resources that they need so if a student is really close with um close with their ra and they want to get in touch with the advocate their ra can help them get in touch with us um but it's all about finding like getting connected with someone because i think that's the hardest first step and For some students, that means just talking with the counseling center, and other students, it means getting linked up with one of the many other people that I mentioned. (laughs) But I think it's all about, like, taking that that first step to be able to... It's like breaking that silence, which is terrifying. I, I get that. But I also know that a lot of times it can get to a point where you, like, can't ignore it anymore. And and so it's... It's almost like the choice of acknowledging what happened become it's not even a choice anymore because there's other things maybe have become so overwhelming or hard that that you need to acknowledge something and unfortunately that like we want to see students before that so that we can help prevent a lot of that struggle that happens and that's just a part of like trauma I'm your host Rachel Bandy and this is my podcast call it what it is a five-part podcast that focuses on sexual assault and violence on college campuses. On my next episode, we will be listening to another victim's story along with an interview with the Title IX coordinator.